I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. On this episode of Newt's World, how many of us think that healthcare in the United States is ineffective, inefficient, and very expensive? In Nebraska and Iowa, information on housing, transportation, and other non-clinical needs is being exchanged electronically. Doctors and healthcare organizations know the importance of health data in treating their patients, but they do not have access to all of a patient's health data, such as when the patient has to go to the emergency room or if the patient sees a different doctor in another part of town. Because of this inability to share information, patients have to provide their health history every time they see a new doctor, and doctors don't have the complete picture of their patient's health. In 2020, Sync Health, a health information exchange that operates in Nebraska and Iowa, began taking steps to address that problem. Here to talk more about this new movement toward accessing health data and better patient care, I'm really pleased to welcome my guests, Dr. Jamie Bland, President and CEO of Sync Health, and Linda Upmeyer, former Speaker of the House of Iowa. She now works with Sync Health, advising on health policy. Jamie and Linda, thank you for joining me. And I just want to say, I've personally been working on the issue of healthcare from a public policy perspective for 48 years. And there's such a range of issues to solve. It's almost like a David and Goliath scenario. So I'm glad you're both here to talk about what is working in healthcare in Nebraska and Iowa and how the rest of the country can maybe learn from the example that you're setting. So, Jamie, let me start with you, if you don't mind. You came to this position as CEO of Sync Health 
with a background as a registered nurse. How did your career in nursing first get started? And as I understand it, you served as clinic manager in the United States Army. Tell us about your experience. Thanks, Newt. So I started as a registered nurse and in that experience learned a lot about care coordination and having information available to fully support someone's health journey. And when I worked for the Army, the care coordination and getting records back and forth became really important to the work that I was doing, making sure that when we out-processed somebody, all their records went with them and back to the United States. So that really impressed upon me the importance of information following the person and is really what started my journey to informatics specialty in advanced practice nursing, and then ultimately to public health and public health informatics, which is what my doctorate is in. So from that journey to where I am today as CEO of Sync Health and really understanding how difficult it is to connect to data, aggregate data, create a data infrastructure for various needs across the healthcare system, and then what we most recently saw with a pandemic response in the information that was needed to both respond from an economic as well as health perspective. Could you take a minute and just explain what was that process of sharing information to multiple sources like? Somebody's care journey starts in primary care and referring to specialty care and ensuring that all of that health history goes with somebody to their specialty care visit or is easily accessible when they move to a new location, all of that in paper records. And, you know, in our first attempts at electronic health records in the early 2000s has been a really arduous journey for both clinicians as well as individuals. So getting that information and packaging it in digital context is something that we've worked on through data standards as well as technology over the past 20 years. But that proved to be very difficult when we were really starting to understand the importance of information following the person and moving away from paper and having that comprehensive health record ensure that the specialty care provider and then back to primary care that that information would follow. And we're just now starting to realize that investment in electronic health records and the importance of having the information available across the ecosystem, whether that be acute care ambulatory care, like in a primary care or specialty care clinic, emergency rooms, and in the community where individuals seek health care. Linda, you were trained as a cardiology nurse practitioner with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Iowa and a Master of Science in Nursing from Drake University. What was your experience like working in cardiology? Well, in a word, Newt, it was very, very busy. The hospital that I practice in was a hub. It was in a 90-mile radius. We were really the closest place for people to get all kinds of specialty care. So as you can imagine, people came from distances where we had not seen them in the hospital before, and they've been often seen by people in many different communities. So it became very complex when you were doing the consultations, the ER visits, the admits, and the discharges. For people that were often elders, very complex cases, often with chronic disease that had been treated in other places, 
And we're accessing those people at some of the most tense, anxious times in their life when they're having chest pain or maybe hypertensive episodes. And then we ask them to help us find all of their health records. And it was very chaotic at times. And there's no doubt that if we'd had a better system, even a system as sophisticated as Jamie described in the Army, we probably would have been able to do things quicker and more efficiently. Jamie, one of the things that's developing is the interprofessional collaborative care model, which for those of us who are just normal patients, we need some help with. Could you explain to us what the interprofessional collaborative care model is in healthcare? Yes, it is an interdisciplinary team that is responsible for the care and outcomes of individual patients. So that results in huddles in the morning talking about progress on different aspects of clinical outcomes. So you might think of a person with diabetes and the team looking retrospectively at blood glucose and every discipline from physician, nurse, social worker, the receptionist having these conversations about how the team can support an individual in managing their blood glucose levels and ensuring that the nutrition information is available and really taking a whole person approach to the care outcomes. And the more that we move towards care outcomes versus episodic visits to a doctor, the better outcomes individuals seem to have. As I understand it, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement came up with three key areas to improve delivery of care. Can you describe those? The IHI triple aim focuses on population health, experience of care, and per capita costs. So if we're looking at an individual with diabetes, again, to use that example, we're looking at what is the outcome? Is there a long-term trend in the management and stability of blood glucose levels? Is there weight loss? Is there things that are improving their quality of life? And with that, what is the lowest level of intervention that can be applied to those better outcomes to control cost? And then what is the overall population health of the community in which an individual lives? How does bringing all this information together affect the experience of care by the patient? At one point in my career, I worked for the VA, and I remember when we were first rolling out some of the population health data efforts and providers that were just really certain that they were really consistent with their patient interventions. And when we provided the data, they could then see where sometimes they didn't apply that intervention and what the outcome was. So having the information available for providers in a longitudinal health record so they can see what is the long-term outcomes of an individual patient, and then aggregating that information over time is where we can start to see improvements in outcomes. And also working to the lowest level of intervention, which reduces cost. So if we can say for these five diabetes patients, a consult with nutrition really helped them manage their long-term outcomes. Or this other group of patients needed to have a different medication change, and we monitored that over time. There's a cost difference in those two different interventions, and that's what the population health interventions are looking at. So are you looking to provide sort of a cost-effective care that's both efficient and keeps you healthy? You're not swapping money for health. 
but you're trying to achieve both? We're trying to achieve the most effective outcomes for the lowest cost possible. And, you know, in an era of high deductible healthcare plans, that means real money to individual people. And we want to ensure that if we can provide the data that providers can make those population health level decisions, as well as have individual person level information available, that's where we want to ensure that whoever is treating the patient has the most comprehensive information possible, not just what's contained in their electronic health record, what the information is along the longitudinal health journey. I really got interested in Sync Health because way back in 2003, I wrote a book called Saving Lives and Saving Money. And I made the point that it was in that order, that health is a moral requirement, not just a market-oriented requirement. And so you have to first focus on saving lives. And then within the framework of saving lives, you focus on saving money. And it seems to me that a lot of what Sync Health has done is improve our ability to both save your life and to do so in a cost-effective manner. Absolutely. So if you look at some of the policy efforts that individuals like Linda have helped us to achieve both in Nebraska and Iowa, we have comprehensive medication history available to all providers in Nebraska. That was a concerted effort by the legislature to do that, and that's a patient safety tool. So if we look at the complexity of prescriptions that are prescribed to an individual and having that information available to each provider so there's not duplication in kinds of medication, so that there's not an adverse reaction or a potential allergic reaction, having that information available. Nebraska is the only state in the country that has had that policy effort to ensure that that kind of information is available to all providers. So we know that polypharmacy is a problem, and that's the way that Nebraska decided to address that. Similarly, the comprehensiveness of the acute care, so all the hospitals connected, is an effort that we've worked on in Nebraska for the past decade. And I was taking a giant leap forward underneath Governor Reynolds' leadership to make that a reality in Iowa as well. So we're very excited about the comprehensiveness of information that will be available to Iowa providers as well. As a first woman to be Speaker of the House, from your standpoint, as you've watched the system, which initially evolved in Nebraska, but has now matured dramatically, what is the impact as you watch it moving into Iowa? And what impact is it having on both patients and delivery systems? Absolutely. When we first started talking about how we would share information 20 years ago, we were talking about doing it in paper and how we could be effective. And now here we are, technology has made it possible, and we have the applications available to actually truly make this an interoperable system. And the only thing that stands in our way now, in my mind, is people's reluctance to share and focusing on the mission, putting the patient at the center. Let me ask both of you, what do you think can be done to encourage big healthcare systems, whether they're private or government like Medicare and Medicaid, to follow this kind of a model? So I really think it starts with those that want to see real improvement in cost and quality. And that's really where it started in Nebraska and Iowa, organically with healthcare systems, and then moved to involving government and public health and Medicaid and Medicare to be a part of 
the system. And I think what the results show is that that's better care coordination, better outcomes, more insights into the work that needs to be done for population health and where there needs to be more concerted focus and being more data-driven in where healthcare is delivered, whether that be in a hospital or in the community or in a social care setting like a church or a community center. Those are all very different approaches to healthcare delivery and rethinking how individuals want to interact with the healthcare system. So I think if that's where the strategy is going, the technology and data are evolved to the point where these systems can be implemented. So I think that's where some of the challenges historically have been. The technology needed to catch up and then the data standards needed to catch up. And I think we're in a really good place now. And I think that from a statewide perspective, more and more part of the conversation of what's next for both healthcare delivery and public health. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Jamie, you know, one of the big problems has been that health data is typically owned by one provider instead of being shared through multiple providers to sort of follow the patient. How do you deal with that? A lot of education about individual people having access to their data and the governance and oversight of the data following the individual. So, you know, in recent policy considerations, the like 21st century cures and people having access rights to their information, that's clarified some of that conversation. But we certainly still encounter some resistance in the sharing of information. And I think if we approach a system like this as a utility, right, that people have access to their information, providers have access to the information, payers have more limited access to the information for payment purposes, but really understanding the access points, putting in security and governance layers around that, and then ensuring that people have the priority in the access to the information. And then providers having access for the purposes of treatment and operations so that they are able to access in near real time the information that they need to make better clinical decisions. So when you have this capability across the entire care team, to talk with each other and to see what's going on. And from that standpoint, does this kind of data access across the whole system provide a kind of transparency for patient care? Oh, absolutely. Not only transparency, but continuity and safety for individual patient outcomes. The more information that is available for a provider to make a comprehensive clinical decision, the better. I know as a nurse, the more that we can have information about pharmacy history, allergies to medications, and just different reactions to medications or different outcomes that from different encounters, we make better decisions going forward. This information flow, how does that fit in with HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which was designed to safeguard information, but sometimes gets a little bit bureaucratic in its application. Right. So an organization like Sync Health provides that governance layer so that we're looking at individual access. So providers have treatment purposes, your health insurance company has payment purposes, and then there might be some operational instances that need to have access to that information. So if you think about quality reporting, to CMS as an example, or to report publicly on quality. Those are some operational purposes that data can be used for. But systems like these individual patients, if they don't want their data shared, can opt out of them. So that's the benefit of having a governance framework around the sharing of information versus just point-to-point sharing of information, which is a little more limited in where people have a voice and how their data is shared. I'm going to go back to that utility type of context that it's available and you can certainly opt out of the sharing of information. But in times of, you know, emergent use cases or chronic care needs, or you get to an age where, you know what, I just really want all my doctors to have all my information, then those governance frameworks come in handy to ensure that that's readily, easily accessible information. So as I understand, sometimes when you can scan electronically a large enough database, I think it was Kaiser Permanente that found that Vioxx had a problem that only showed up if you had access to lots and lots of data. Do you know some examples where data trends and population suddenly surfaced a problem? Opioid crisis, for certain. The amount of medications that were being prescribed, 
who was prescribing them. I think those are all certainly things that come into play. And then anytime there's emergency room visits and those medications are found to be a consistent across the patient population, absolutely. I think if you look at semaglutides, a diabetes medication, and one of the things that was found was that individuals on that type of diabetes medication were also losing weight and were also having good results in portion control. Those are also some positive things that we can find in different medication responses as well. As I understand it, some studies indicate that up to 80% of a person's health outcomes come from what are called social determinants. So for those of us who aren't thoroughly understanding this field, what is the concept of social determinants of health and how does it impact people? Yeah, so we can look at food insecurity as one aspect of a social determinant. And I'm going to go back to the diabetes example. So if we're having nutrition consult and acceptance of changing a diet to be more fresh fruits and vegetables, and then we see in follow-up that that didn't have an impact or they weren't able to stick to the diet regimen. And then we find out that somebody doesn't have a refrigerator in the home to be able to store fresh fruits and vegetables. That's certainly a social determinant in the ability to manage a diabetic diet, right? So I think that's one instance where understanding the social aspects, what is the home life of somebody? Can they actually get to the doctor's appointments through consistent transportation? Or do they need referrals to community-based resources so that we can appropriately manage diabetes so that they don't show up in the emergency room with a very expensive visit for diabetes ketoacidosis, as an example? So there's definitely lower cost interventions that we can put in place, whether that be finding a refrigerator, ensuring that the electricity stays on, and that the housing is reliable and consistent. So in a sense, you sometimes have to treat the entire person and their environment, their neighborhood, et cetera, in order to get at the specific disease or the specific problem. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely trends we can look at, different zip codes that have higher incidence of diabetes. What is the availability of grocery stores in those zip codes? What is the transportation schedule for public transportation? All of those things can factor into, can you get to your doctor's visits? Can you get to the grocery store? Can you manage your chronic disease? And what are the long-term outcomes? And ultimately, what is the cost of treatment for those individuals? One of the things that came out of all this with the opioid epidemic, which has been truly tragic, but it's led to a real breakthrough, it seemed to me, in the medication reconciliation tool you use in Nebraska. Can you explain what drove that and how does this medication reconciliation tool work? The medication reconciliation tool originated so the pharmacies could track if one person was getting multiple prescriptions for opioids filled at multiple locations. Typically, those pharmacies were not linked and would not talk to each other, so to speak, unless they were owned by the same corporation with the same computer system. Now, now, Thanks to Nebraska Legislative Bill 471, signed into law by the governor in 2016, all of our pharmacies in Nebraska are linked. They do talk to each other. I would just add that the providers have confidence in a tool that's comprehensive, and that medication reconciliation effort 
is something that's definitely contributing to cost and quality outcomes. If you look at Nebraska and Iowa, where they're at in opioid deaths across the country, we definitely have robust utilization and confidence in the tool, both the data and the functionality of the technology. You know, I mean, it would seem to me that virtually every state should adopt something like this because we have such a continuing opioid problem around the whole country that would just be hugely advantageous. It also seems to me that Medicare and Medicaid systems could benefit by using data like this to manage their patient care. And in part, there's so much waste in these two programs because it's run by bureaucracies. Can you describe, let me go first to Dr. Bland, then to Linda Upmeyer. But Dr. Bland, could you describe a little bit about the potential of connecting all the health data for something like Medicaid or Medicare and the impact it can have on improving outcomes for the poor while also saving the taxpayer money? Absolutely. So a lot of the health information exchanges across the country started out of Medicaid initiatives underneath the HITECH Act, which I think you were very familiar with when that came into the political conversation. But a lot of investment across the country went into more regional systems. And I think the statewide systems is definitely where a lot of the value comes because of this patient movement across healthcare systems as well as across communities. And that connectedness as an initiative from Medicare and Medicaid is definitely incented, but there does need to be policy effort around the compelling for providers to share information. And to Linda's point earlier around really for the patient benefit. So the patient has a longitudinal health record, so they don't have six, seven, eight portals to go and get information and then print it off and carry that to their providers, which is where states that don't have health information exchange, that's how it happens today. So I think there's a lot of effort around what does it look like for a state to have more of a utility type of approach to healthcare data infrastructure so that we can start to look at broad quality, not just siloed in a healthcare system or not by one community, broadly what it looks like across a state. And then we can break it into regions and different communities. But that's the baseline of infrastructure that's needed to really look at cost and quality on a consistent basis with adopted data definitions and data standards to ensure the highest quality of data possible. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Jamie, you've been doing amazing things at Sync Health. Could you describe how Sync Health sees its mission and the way it sees developing its relationship with the health system over the next few years? Yeah, I see Sync Health's mission as providing longitudinal healthcare records to all citizens and communities that we serve and supporting both what providers need for care, what people need to manage their care, and also what public health and governors need to manage the population health of their states. So really focusing in on the different use cases for data, the different use cases that providers need information for, and then easy access to individual people so that the burden of technology is not borne by individuals in the community. Let me ask you for a second, Linda, you've seen this both as a nurse You've seen it as an elected official. How big a difference do you think it makes if patient care is surrounded by the kind of information flow that Sync Health is developing? At the heart of this matter is putting patients first. And so as all of the systems, the big systems, the small systems, all of us wrap our arms around this technology and really figure out how we're going to use it. If we always keep the patients, the citizens, the people that we're caring for at the center of this, I think everybody can get where we need to be to really accomplish this successfully. But too often people get distracted by other things and forget to focus on the patient. And so that's the biggest thing new that I see is we have to stay focused on that one mission. Yeah, I was very impressed with that. I thought this notion that if you started with the patient and you wanted all of the system to revolve around the patient, then you would need the kind of information flow that a system like Sync Health provides. Could you talk for a minute, Jamie, about the way in which this is sort of a really breakthrough era where we have the cloud and we have a kind of connectivity that would have been seen magic 35 years ago, but now it's sort of normal and it's gradually being applied to healthcare. And Sync Health is one of the real pioneers that's simply taking the existing technology but making it applicable to the patient and the doctor. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about the cloud infrastructure that makes it available near real time, it can now be delivered 
directly into the provider's workflow. So there's no query, there's no facts to go find, there's no PDF to scroll through. There's a number of advancements in data and technology through advanced programming interfaces that allow us to do some very magical things with interoperability in electronic health records. But it doesn't happen without different governance and policy efforts that health systems and states decide to go all in on as far as benefiting individual people. What are the challenges you face as you explain all this in getting healthcare systems to adopt a system like the one that Sync Health offers? There's definitely resistance to the data sharing efforts in some places. The two decades that we've been working on health information technology, and just as you talked about in Paper Kills or the conversation around health information technology from 20 years ago, there was a promise of HIT and it was very slow to be delivered from various angles, right? The electronic health records didn't deliver what they promised. Medicare, Medicaid got involved, slowed things down in the rollout. So I think that's where some of the resistance comes in. But then it is change, right? It is change to having just the information in front of me that I took as notes in your last visit or was from, you know, my electronic health record from my hospital to now community-wide data and being able to process that and understand it and utilize that for better patient outcomes. It does take a shift, which is where these integrated care models come in, which is where population health analytics come in. All of those things require a different set of data skills for providers than you know, when Linda and I went to school many, many years ago, we didn't have to do. <laughs> so it is a change. So things are going to keep changing and keep evolving. Where can people go to learn more? SyncHealth.org, C-Y-N-C, Health.org, to learn more about health information exchange, prescription programs, all kinds of health information technology information there. That's great. A provider can also reach you directly, am I right? Oh, Absolutely. Yep, there's a contact us or support at SyncHealth.org. I will definitely reach out to you. Well, Jamie and Linda, I want to thank you both for joining me today and sharing your personal stories, both in working in healthcare and also trying to solve the much bigger problems in healthcare today by using data to create healthier outcomes for people. I think what you're doing at SyncHealth is really an amazing breakthrough. It's something like Linda I've been working on for many, many years, and I'm seeing the technology now come together to make it possible to have a truly patient-centered model. And I really look forward to hearing more success stories in the future. Thank you, Newt. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Newt, for having us on your podcast today. Thank you to my guests, Dr. Jamie Bland and Speaker Linda Upmeyer. You can learn more about Sync Health on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howe, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. 
This is Newt's World, and this episode of Newt's World was brought to you by Sync Health. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at Play play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.